Hi, folks. Um, happy hump day. <laughs> I wonder where that came from, actually. Hump day. It's middle of the week and we're normally with you at the start of the week, giving you a brand new episode. But if you listened to Monday's episode with the brilliant Gareth Edwards, I told you that um, we've got some extra episodes coming your way and we've got one of those for you right now. Uh, that's because there's uh, an abundance of great stuff around at the minute. So we want to try and capture that as much as we possibly can. So massive thanks to Ben for all the extra work behind the scenes and putting it all together. Um, but we've got something really great to share with you for a, a cracking wee film, actually. You might have seen the posters for Flora and Son or advertising um, around. It's got the brilliant Eve Hewson uh, in the lead role as a single mum trying to navigate her own life as well as her teenage sons. Uh, and music sort of surprises them both and forms a massive part of their life and their relationship moving forward. And as I've said before, um, our latest guest on Soundtracking has kind of created his own genre of naturalistic musical cinema in which the songs featured feel kind of organically rooted in the landscape of the narrative and the characters' lives. John Carney is a man who's brought us Once and Sing Street and now Flora and Son, which you can watch both on Apple TV now or if you want that cinematic experience, it is in cinemas as well. And as I said, it tells the story of a single mum struggling to deal with her rebellious son whose fortunes start to change after she rescues, it's a brilliant scene actually, she rescues a beaten up guitar from a uh, skip. It's very funny. Uh, John enlisted the help of Gary Clark of Danny Wilson fame. If I say, say, it's the only time I'm going to do that. And uh, he's worked with them before, but they worked on original songs and score. And it's with Gary's cue, Flora Watches Max, that we'll begin. Very well, thanks very much. Very well. Great. Thanks for doing this. I really want to talk and celebrate Flora and Son, but before that, I just want to say as well, I've never really had the opportunity to thank you and congratulate you on Sing Street, which is just still one of my favourite films and just something that, oh, um, yeah, very special film. That I think it's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a million. Yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a a very nice kind of time the last few years with that film, just seeing it have this weird afterburn. We, um, at the time when it came out, I was on Virgin Radio doing the breakfast show and uh, we used to do live sessions yeah. on, the, on the show. And uh, we, got the, we got the cast in and he did a live session for us on the breakfast show. It was amazing. <laughs> Listen, Flora and Son is such a, a wonderful film. And I was talking to someone about it the other day and just saying that I feel like you've almost created your own genre of filmmaking, which I hope you take as a compliment because it's meant as one. Just in the way that you incorporate or the way that you use music in your films. Um, and this is a great example of that once again, I think. 
it's not kind of you know you have you have score and you have needle drops and things in but you also have music as a character really it has a place in in the film that's quite unique to other films I think when you're writing you know when you're thinking about kind of dialogue and then music sort of thing do you think about the music afterwards or is it part of the kind of process for you when you're writing these stories it is um it's definitely part of the process but I do put the like the story and the characters first because I think that probably the danger of like if you have 10 songs that you like and then you start writing from them you'll probably end up with more of a traditional sort of jukebox musical thing where you're connecting these songs for me it has to be the character first and then it's almost like you start using the songs to to bridge as opposed to the dialogue bridging the songs you're using songs in a kind of an unusual way I mean I'm very flattered by what you said, and I think it's accurate about the genre thing, but I think it comes from a place of, there's there's no grand plan behind that, other than it suits me to stop writing for 15 minutes and pick the guitar up and play it or go to the (laughs) piano, in the same way that it suits me to get up at 10 o'clock as opposed to 6 o'clock in the morning, and it suits me to have my kids in the film because I don't have to get somebody to mind them. And... (laughs) You know, films are particularly brutal in this separation thing where we go, yeah. here is my life as a professor, you know, and here, and we go and we have to do these tech scouts and pick exactly where we're going to film and what we're going to do on each day. And it becomes very, like, this isn't the reason I dropped out of high school to answer questions and to, do you know what I mean, be a grown-up. Yeah. And basically <clears throat> what I'm trying to do now that I'm older and I've got kids and I'm married and all of that is to try and incorporate my my life with the work and mm-hmm. try and figure and that's where these films have come from like I don't want to take my work too seriously but I'm nothing without it yeah. but I also don't want it to become this thing that I do that's like I go out and I do this you know magical film world and I think that's where that town comes from of like let's put a song in here well yeah it's kind of that thing because I think obviously your background as a you know musicians is comes into it in terms of music's always around you. It's always around us, whether you kind of get up in the morning and put the radio on or you get in the car and you choose to listen to something or you put a record on or whatever it is. It's kind of, yeah. that's what I feel so natural about the way that you use music is it's almost that thing of going, you know, like, oh, you know, it's been a while since I listened to, uh, you know, get the radio on or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's what feels so yeah. It's no knee jerk at all. It's not kind of like I'm going to sing a song and, you know, all that kind of stuff. None of that. We don't have to suddenly go and like make a choice in the way that that we do with other things, you know. And that's interesting. And I I like to sort of, um, you know, I am a musician and I know musicians and and we use music in our lives in a very different way, you know, when you are a musician. So most of my films are about people who are confronted with you know people it's not just an accident that the songs are there i absolutely adore eve and orin their individual performances their relationship together as this mother and son yeah. you know i know you know in terms of you write a, you write a script and you you cast it but how much did they influence the characters or the script did they bleed into it in terms of once they kind of got comfortable with the script in terms of helping find those relationships and performances and dialogue? I think that probably, you know, making a film is a little bit like, you know, when you're like, 
you, as a writer, you're you're on your own and you're like, you know, you're with the clay and you're molding and shaping or, you know, with glass, you're, you're, the thing is changeable in your hands. Yeah. You, you can still change it. And I think actors come along and they're, they're like, they choose the moment at which you bring the thing out into the real world and it sets and it's, for, it, it's in that shape now. And it's still yours, but it's been touched by something else now and they've chosen the point at which it'll always be represented. So when you write a character like Flora or Max and it's finished on the page, it's there, but it's not there. And it's up yeah. to an actor to catch it and freeze it and say, that's going to be Flora now. And I think both of those actors, I mean, particularly Eve, really made that call and, and told me often where it was that the character should live and what range she should be at. You know, Eve, for example, just played the humour in it in a very cool way and a way that I wouldn't necessarily have discovered with another actor or on my own. Or And I put the lines down and they were funny, but they were also very male, you know, and there were times when I thought, are we going to buy that a girl in this day and age with everything going on would say this or and I was caught you know I was worried about certain lines like her you know when she says she's glad to be his muse at the end did that feel like a guy writing a female part yeah and sort of trying to push back on something that a lot of men don't like you know men don't like to be told that they can't have muses anymore yeah and so is that like a, a man saying and I don't I couldn't care less frankly actually but I I, I just think it's she managed to sort of play everything for laughs and yeah. kind of like a schoolgirl and get away with stuff in, in, in a really funny sort of youthful way that, that, that I, I didn't know she was going to do it quite as well as she did it. It's almost like quite childlike in terms of, you know, like how kids don't have a filter. They haven't lived a life. So they've got that. They've not got a, a kind of life filter that they think about what they're about to say before they say it. And she definitely adopts yeah. that. I love her kind of brazen honesty with everyone, really. It's kind of like, I almost yeah. kind of want, I want to be a bit more like Flora every day. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of, what would Flora say in this situation? Because there's just something really, oh God, liberating about the way she responds to a lot of things. And I mean, there's, you know, there are flaws in things in the way she reacts to things as well, but that's what makes her a really believable character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that she's willing to, that she's willing to also be herself, but also she does understand that she has to move a little bit outside of herself to make prog progress, you know, and she does, she does learn. She is open, even though she's pushing back and she's wisecracking, she is also open to some yeah. of the stuff that Joe says or some of the stuff that the judge says or people that she rubs up against. She's kind of been ignoring people probably for a long time. And she, that's what I like about her is that she's, she is opinionated and she's abrasive and crude, but she is also willing to adjust that accordingly. Yeah, yeah. In, you know, for politeness or for getting on or whatever. Yeah. With um, Oren, who is oh my god, he's so brilliant. I love the the growth of the character as well through his relation through the growth of his relationship with his mum. You know, in mm -hmm. terms of you almost kind of see him bloom almost in a way as this relationship grows with his you know with his mum sort of thing. The performances that Oren gives of kind of a young lad having a go on Garage Band and going, oh yeah, this is great, I like this. I'm kind of, it's just, it's so kind of believable. And I just was interested to talk to you about how you work with a young actor who's never done anything before. 
in terms of finding the confidence to do that kind of thing because those moments in the film are they're just really great and they're they're funny yeah do you mind talking a little bit about working with with Oren on those particular yeah go side of things yeah he he was very he's a very sensitive human Oren he's he's not like Max at all in the film he's a very um he's actually a very very mature sensitive young man he he gave great humanity to a role that I had written kind of as a generic tricky tricky kid you know when I wrote that part I was like whoever's going to be that kid is going to is going to deliver that role and shape him and move him he can be quite anything really he's not you know I didn't have any actually any real preconceptions about that character and this guy Oren gave him great um depth and made it very touching and reminded us all really that you know under a certain age all boys particularly but girls as well but particularly boys are crying for help that's yeah. all they're doing they're not demonic they they don't deserve asbos like their brains aren't formed yeah for a lot longer than we thought and it's it's so easy to judge particularly young boys because they're big and they're scary and they're violent and they're all of that but they're just crying out for help yeah it's adults that fuck them up <laughs> yeah. having a you 15 know, year old son i have that fear that you know it's that kind of thing where you want to be that you kind of want to be a you want to be a safety blanket you don't want to be that person pushing and you don't want to be that person telling them what to do or what about this kind of thing you want to almost just kind of be a bit of a menu of options in life and kind of go i'm here to serve whatever option yeah. i can help you with sort of thing rather than going mm. go that way do that thing and find ways of teaching them morality and compassion and empathy without without ever saying it. Yeah. You know, or describing it, but to put them into situations where their judgment will be good and their, you know, I mean, I have a seven-year-old boy and I and I am faced with that issue every day of like, how do I make sure that he, you know, if, if somebody was being, if there was a collective thing going on in school, would he find his own voice and or would he just go with the crowd and say something mean because everybody was saying and trying to illustrate those things to him mm. is it, it's such a challenge you know it's it's a con or not a challenge but it's just it's you have to be vigilant all the time yeah but i think we blame i think boys get blamed a lot for stuff that's actually adults giving them really bad like the whole thing of like porn online and stuff like that is like why are we giving that to children as yeah. adults we're just saying you deal with it yeah Absolutely. Like you, just take a bit more responsibility for it. You regulate yourself and, you know, and then we just put all this this sea of awful stuff on for these. And they, we know they're going to get it. Why are we tying ourselves in these knots? Like The scene in the film where where Flora is trying to sort of almost kind of set up a date for him and his and the girl that he really likes as well. I had a moment of kind of like, oh, God, I think I did that last week. It's kind of like... It's just there's just yeah. wonderful moments of kind of real sort of um of real life in the film as well. Can I talk about Gary Clark? Because I grew up in a little village called Anstruther and Fife, and Gary's from Dundee, which was like the big bright lights for me growing up. And Mary's Prayer was a song that was like just but it was part of growing up for me. You know, it was kind of yeah, me too. we were always very proud to celebrate people from Scotland musically who were doing who were doing great things and and they did and they 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 were and it's great to see him have 
um, you know, so much success on this side of his creativity. What was it about yeah. Gary that you first brought him on board for Sing Street? Was was it? Yeah, that was the first thing we did. It was that. It was it was definitely that song and that album was a seminal album for me when I was when I was young and my older brother. We listened to it a lot, and I it was one of the songs. You know, when I got my first Walkman that got me into you know when I was cycling into school that sort of certain anthems in your life which are like as a kid seem to be telling you that this will end and you'll there's other things in life that isn't just about this drudgery yeah. or this rain on a bike in Ireland <laughs> going to see a bunch of boys you can't stand you know there's something else going on it wasn't that they were Scottish I don't even think I knew I just think it was you know, I have a checklist of songs that did that for me. Everything is wonderful. Being here is heavenly. Every single day she sends. Everything is free. I used to be so careless. As if I couldn't care less. Did I have to make this place when I was Mary's Suddenly the heavens roll Suddenly the rain and so you know when we were doing sing street i kind of thought i wonder should i see where those guys were because they seem so much older when you're 10 or 12 but actually they were probably just 19 or 17 or 18. And so sure enough, yeah, you, you know, I, Gary is, a, is, is from my older brother's generation, but we have a lot in common and a lot of similar tastes. Musically, we're cut from a very similar cloth. We're into jazz and big band and Frank Sinatra and Stevie Dan and Stevie and funk and disco. And, and, and so, you know, we spoke the same language when it came to doing the thing for Sing Street. And it's just gone. It's just blossomed from there. You know, it's just uh, he just has a great ability to write music that is that is really up there but it, with the with the grades but doesn't ever feel precious about yeah. it and do you bring him in quite early on then in terms of when you're you know because the way we previously talked about the songs and the music being part of do you bring him yeah. in i think i pitched him the opening of flora and sun at like a screening of sing street <laughs> that long ago i think i had the first thing and i pitched him the story you know the opening and he laughed at that and i put part and came back to it and then so years later i gave him the script and from then we broke the script down into what song where which song sounded like what and you know what was this song doing what was should this piece be doing and obviously the jack's character as well and the fact that he's a kind of wannabe music well he is a musician but he's you know he's don't want to say yeah, failed, didn't failed. Yeah, didn't didn't yeah. quite make. Supported Snow Patrol. Yeah. Love that line, but <laughs> yeah. In the daytime, yellow buses with their lights on keep sighing at the rain. And before you know, the day turns into night, and I'm stranded in myself again. 
When the music's drunk, it spills out of the bars onto the streets. A million songs I know. But every song's about a boy who had to save himself and go. Sing it. It's a long way to fall from the streets to the stars. And then you've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's this this great character who's in the States, who's who's um, Flora's guitar teacher. And it's just this kind of full roundedness. But then you have these moments where you're using existing music, but it's used so brilliantly. And when you're writing the script, you're writing those songs in the script, so the Joni Mitchell and the Tom Waits track, are those in the script? And is the hope that you're going to get them? Or is it, how does it work with you? With those specific yeah, I would write those, generally speaking, write them into the script. They're baked in. I mean, you, sometimes you don't get them and you have to change change them out yeah. or you change your mind with the editor or something. But generally, there's a thing I'm going through when I'm writing scripts. There's a, there's a genre I'm watching or listening to a lot of or there's some something that's preoccupying me musically when I'm writing the scripts. And why that particular Johnny Mitchell track? No reason specifically. I mean, that performance of that song is extremely, is, is there's a kind of a purity about it, I guess, that's quite unusual. You, you know, it's a woman who looks very nice and very well, but she's, but her beauty or her look or her, doesn't get in the way of the song. The song seems touched by God in it, and she's just a sort of a vessel for, kind of in the way that like you see Gloria Gaynor singing songs in a 70s video, and it's like, she 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 looks gorgeous and all of that, but it's not about the show. It's about the song, and yeah. I think it was interesting for Flora to see that that music could be about that as well as the sort of more extroverted thing she's looking at the beginning, and to see actually sometimes sometimes the performer has to sort of stand back and let the song come through them. And nowadays it's so much about the star. It, it frequent it often was about the star. But like, does anybody know what George Gershwin looks like now? But the songs are still brilliant. Flows and flows of angel hair And ice cream castles in the air And feather canyons everywhere I've looked at clouds that way But now they only block the sun they rain and snow on everyone So many things I would have done But clouds got in my way Oh, I've looked at clouds from both sides now From up and down And still somehow it's cloud illusions I recall I really don't at all. It's such a special scene that because I mentioned this to you the other night when we were doing the Q&A was that it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a moment for the character in terms of how she's absorbed and almost taken music for granted in a way, I think, and you know, sort of, and how yeah. suddenly it's a real kind of, a portal is almost opened 
for her, both in terms yeah. of music, but also kind of almost, also almost a mirror back on herself in a way, in terms of ad- admitting to herself what she's been through, what she's feeling, why she's angry, maybe. Do you know what I mean? Lo- loads of things. Mm. And that's all done through no dialogue, through Eve's performance mm. and this song and the lyrics playing in the background with, the, with you know, where we come to see Joni every now and again. It's an extraordinary piece of filmmaking that brings together all these different elements. What what was yeah. written in that scene in terms of what you asked of Eve in terms of, do you mind talking a little bit about that particular scene? Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. I, I, I agree with you. I do think it's, it, she's very good in it. And it's, um, it's, I guess it's interesting to just not make, I wasn't making any judgment about what that scene should be doing. I just wanted to let it happen and let people sort of fill in the blanks and feel themselves in the moment not do any special effects but the idea was time is standing still and she's caught in this moment and she's sort of because to me my whole young life when I, my whole life when I was younger there was one of those moments every week yeah you were hearing something new every few days of your life back then there was somebody you know we mentioned this at the at the talk the other day but there's somebody showing you something for the first time and you were kind of going oh my god there's this there's like oh but also that the, it was this and you're going, but this feels like it's about me. That was the yeah. other thing, you know, in terms of that you that you saw or heard yourself in these things as well. That was something that I think kind of coming from a little village that I did, music and so much, but music more so would they would be your escape or they would be you were in your own scene in a movie for those three and a half minutes or four minutes sort of thing in a way. And you know with music that that is what was going on. It was somebody communicating to you in your bedroom. It, it, that's not fake. Mm. That was, Joni, real musicians write in that way. They're on their own. They're generally on their own. They're, they're, they're generally feel an urge to, to, to some, for something to come out of them. And they are writing for, every, for everybody for these unique. That's what I don't understand about this whole AI argument. Like it's such bollocks. As if anybody wants to listen to anything that isn't produced by humans, you know. I mean, unless they're idiots and they want just atmosphere in the background or something like that or something to work out on the treadmill in the gym. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you won't get Joni Mitchell, like. <laughs> yeah, or Tom Waits. <laughs> yeah. Just before we run out of time, the endings. I love how with your films, you kind of leave us wanting more or you leave us with a kind of like, you know, almost a kind of to be continued type thing in terms of yeah. it's it's almost like the end of a chapter, but not the book. And I love that. I love that so much because yeah. you kind of go, oh, they're off to do this or this happened and stuff. But with this film as well, we get this fantastic song, Living the High Life um, or High Life yeah. it's called. I and it's a yeah. fantastic song. And I yeah, I just I, I, I was interested just particularly about that song and the conversations that you had about about writing that and what, yeah, what it needed to do, because it needed to fit those characters, it needed to fit their experience, it needed to fit their strengths, their weaknesses, all that kind of stuff. Mm, but it's such yeah. a brilliant earworm. It's so catchy. It's fantastic. Well, it's great that you think, I, I agree. And I, it's funny, I was speaking to to, to Bono recently by, by complete chance, and he was like, that chorus is as good as it gets. And I was like, okay, we're on to something because he does know a bit about choruses. That scene is like my filmmaking kind of manifesto in in one three-minute scene, Mm -hmm. which is 
how do you have a song that 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 is in a movie that ends a movie that is about the movie that it, that in which the movie is fully expressed however big or small the movie is 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 it all in that it's kind of singing in the rain is like in that song you know what i mean it's it's not that's never just a song they threw in i mean it's the title of the movie yeah it's 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 the joy in in that three minute scene and there's like seven shots in singing in the rain it's very you know it's very disciplined but it's about the entire movie in that one and you very rarely get that in a musical usually musical seems like oh we need a song here or let's get the best songwriter to write us a song and let's drop a song here mm. for me what i love about musicals is when they rarely come up with you know it's the, it's the somewhere over the rainbow yeah it's like there's the whole movie there's the whole of our youth and our idea of being in a small town and it's encapsulated in that two minutes or two and a half minutes. And for me and Gary, we were like, how do we express Flora's truth with Jeff and the limits of her relationship with her son and her relationship with her husband in a song? Realistically, as a girl who knows eight chords and has picked up the guitar two months ago, how how do you begin expressing those relationships and that exact thing and yet make a piece of earworm and make it catchy but not so catchy that you're going oh sorry you got like seven of the best songwriters in the world to write you a song like come on we don't buy that that's coming from flora so it had to be believable it had to pull all those strands together and feel like you were walking by a pub in dublin you looked in and you were like i buy that moment completely <laughs> i've been bruised and broken i've been torn and fucking too i've been working and running then i have to run home to you and i'm not living in your life and you're not We've been getting it wrong forever We'll get it right this time And live in the high life You're a thief You're a shit thief You're always getting caught get it on on vinyl to be honest join join my sing street vinyl (laughs) before we run out of time as well you mentioned singing in the rain and 
Wizard of Oz there. Are those two your favorite musicals? Um, Singing in the Rain is an undis- you just cannot dispute that movie. I mean, that is a that is how that was made when it was made is is beyond me. It's kind of mm-hmm. like some like a heart or something. It's a perfect it, and it's it, like it's so modern. It's so funny. It's like the best Woody Allen film mixed with the best musical mixed with like the most beautiful dancing the set design but also the like it's a it's a movie story it's a hollywood story which you they say you can never do yeah it's a brilliant story with a, a mirror you know in terms of reflecting back on yourself and back on the idea of hollywood and stardom i mean it's like it's like you don't need instagram or twitter it's like it knew about all it knows about like fandom it knows about the lie of hollywood but it yeah. acknowledges the beauty of hollywood but the fakery it, it's so funny it's so cynical in in its own way but it never becomes like jaded it's just it's a really incredible piece of piece of art and all the songs are great yeah like the songs are great they're absolutely brilliant I'm hoping that the next your next project that I've I've heard you mention a few times is going to be this disco film. I'd love to do a disco film. Oh my film. god, I'd love you to do a disco film. No one I just I, I just have to find a way though of um of of doing it because this disco music was such a short little, you know, tiny what was the word, you know, it was just this window opened for this time. Small um, portal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And it's interesting that it closed so quickly. And and that I you have to sort of take it burned bright, but it was short. And I think you have to take it in that into account. And also there's there's the disco movie, which we which we cannot touch, mm-hmm. which is just such a great move. Like that's another great musical. Yeah. I don't know. Fever is a truly great musical. And even in things like so all that jazz, you know, in terms of like the way that there's kind of it's it's not a disco film, but it's obviously that era and it's kind of there in the background. I've never seen all that jazz. Oh, you'd love it. You should watch that. Definitely. Yeah, I mean to watch that, yeah. The Bob yeah. Fosse thing. Yeah. 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 For some reason I've never seen that movie. Yeah. There you go. There's um, my wee recommendation. I'm gonna go and watch Singing in the Rain. You watch <laughs> all that jazz and I'll see you down yeah. the movies for your disco film. Uh, <laughs> I will do. I'll be, I'll be there. It may take a couple of films, but it'll happen. Listen, lovely to chat to you and huge Good congratulations. Yeah, thank Thanks you so much. Me. Bye, John. Good Thanks, Vicky. Take care. Bye. Bye. score to Flora and Son, that's Guitar Repair by Gary Clark rounding off this bonus episode of Soundtracking with the brilliant John Carney. 
My huge thanks to John for taking the time to talk to us. Flora and Son is available to watch right now on Apple TV and in selected cinemas. And it's an absolute delight. It will make you smile from the inside out. Um, I've got to tell you a little story, actually. I was lucky enough to host a little event with John and Gary. And we were fortunate enough that after the film finished, we did a little Q&A. And then John had his guitar because John used to be in a band called The Frames. Um, if you're not familiar with them, go and seek out their stuff because they are beautiful. Glenn Hansard was the lead vocalist who obviously appeared in once. Gary Clark, when I was growing up, Mary's Prayer was a big old track and Danny Wilson were almost kind of local heroes because they were formed in Dundee just up the road. So I had a little bit of a kind of weird fangirl moment meeting Gary for the first time and it took all my energy not to sing Mary's Prayer in his face. But you'll be glad to know that I didn't. Please do head to edithbowman.com to catch up on all of our previous episodes of Soundtracking. And if you like a spot of singing in your films, um, you can find interviews with a wonderful collection of people who have used music in that specific way within their films, be that Damien Chazelle, Rob Marshall or Lin-Manuel Miranda, to name but a few. And as I said, they can all be found at edithbowman.com. Follow us on socials. We're at Soundtracking UK. And please also subscribe to our YouTube channel too. Uh, next up, I'll be speaking to a composer called Jordan Sykstra about his score for the harrowing but necessary documentary 20 Days in Mariupol. It is out this Friday. So if you can ahead of at Monday's brand new episode with Jordan, uh, seek out 20 Days in Mariupol and I shall see you on Monday. Monday.